Hi there, I'm Martin Teasdale, and this is Get Out of Wrap, the podcast all about contact centres, the people in them, the latest technology, leadership and career lessons, operational best practice, and much more about a great, often misunderstood industry. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get on with the show. What an episode I have for you today. I was lucky enough to host a panel at the recent Contact Centre Expo at the end of November. And joining me on that panel was Sandria Morgan, the Head of Customer Experience at Honor Active, Dan Fretwell, who leads quality and training for the Cotswold Company, and my good friend James Ravel, who is Head of Contact Centres internationally for Air France KLM. I decided it would be great to get the guys back together and to go through the same questions and some new ones that we covered at the expo. So it was great to have them on. Here we go. So the gang is back together. Probably, and I've heard this from other people, the, the, the best panel ever at an expo. Uh, we had, there was standing room only for the three luminaries that are on the screen now. And I'm, I'm very pleased that it wasn't just a one-off gig. Everyone's come back together and we're going to try and recreate the, the magic. No pressure, but Sandria, Dan and James, thanks very much for, for coming back on. And we're going to, we are going to try and recreate that, those magical moments at the Contact Centre Expo. Now, we, we started with the, the, the title was The Future of the um, Contact Centre. And when we think about the challenges as we go into next year, Sandria, what for you are the, the biggest challenges that our industry is facing? So the biggest challenge that I'm facing, and I know the majority of the industry is facing, is trying to find the right caliber of people. Um, in a climate where there are lots of jobs, I think the competition is quite strong to find people who have the right tone of voice, are engaged, um, that you can build real brand champions in your agents and frontline teams. That for me is is the hardest thing to find. I think com- um, contact center roles and CX roles have got a lot more complicated or or more challenging in terms of the skills that you need. And so finding the right person for me is is the biggest challenge that I'm facing within my, my CX teams. And it's what I'm hearing within my network as well. What about you guys? Is it is it similar for you as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think Sandra's hit the, hit the nail on the head there. Um, I don't think it's just... Uh, within our industry, but I, I think following on from what Sandra was saying, how customer service roles have developed, it, it's harder perceived as in inverted commas and with all due respect. And that's where I think a lot of the started as entry level positions and asking ever so much more of people to be able to fulfill those roles. So within a very difficult uh, employment uh, backdrop that is going to make things even more difficult to uh, to show. Totally agree. Yeah, I agree too. I think um, this point, sort of personally, I think is it's just making sure as well that the staff we have have had the time and and the training and development um, stay. You know, um, I think uh, that's something that. Um, we're 
we're focusing on and, and as in my role as well, just ensuring that we're doing what we can to make the role as interesting and as exciting and as enjoyable as we can to just to make sure not only that they don't leave, but also to let other people know that, oh, this is a good place to be, a good place to work and, and try and help with that kind of, um, that hiring piece, um, ensuring we're getting the right, the right caliber of, of agents through, through the door. And when you when you think about this, then from the recruitment side, are you are you doing anything different from how you used to do it in the in the past? I mean, I think to me, what's different is I'm front loading a lot more of the assessment of skill. So I want to make sure that everybody who I end up sort of seeing their CV has the skills to do the role. So to save myself some time, because operationally we're all quite stretched, I find. Um, so I want to make sure that the people who we're actually spending time with seeing can do the job. Also think I'm definitely using my teams more to recruit. So they know how challenging the role is. They know the complexity. They know the type of customer. And in general, they will know somebody or they will know someone who they think can do the job the right level. And people tend to recommend strong folks, um, I find. So, yeah, I'm doing a lot more recommendations. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because does that mean that you can, their focus is more likely to be what a great place to work it is and the nature of the role. And it means that you're kind of over that first hurdle that I think we come across, which is, oh, wait, is this call center work? You know, because you can you can talk about the role is this and we've got all of these benefits and we've got this, you can have a great career uh, and you kind of have to like press gag, you know, it's like join the army, see the world. Oh, wait, but you mean that I might, I might be in a war zone? Well, yes, maybe. <laughs> so there's, that, does that mean, that you can, sorry, God, you can focus on... They do the selling for us. You know, they they get yes. to see the real deal, get told what the real deal is like um, before they come through the do doors. Because I think sometimes with recruitment, you can sell the fun, all of the fun bits and the, the spangly, um, nice stuff and all the, the you know, contacts. Actually, I, I think one thing to drop in here is that contact center roles, we tend to do a lot of like gamification. We make things fun. We make sure that people enjoy being at work because we know it's hard. We know it's hard to deal with 60, 70, 80 contacts a day where you have to build rapport, make sure you get it right because somebody's going to be checking your work. All of this stuff makes it quite challenging. So, yeah, I absolutely agree that, you know, getting people to to share the good and, and the challenging elements before you even have to speak to someone is really helpful. And it generally means you, they last a bit longer as well because they're working with their friends. You mentioned something there that is we all know this vocabulary now around gamification and that's something that is now seen as just you, you have to offer it but what what does it actually mean um in in reality what is that system based or is it just the general uh, support around people doing the job yeah indeed i think there's lots of different uh, definitions of it but i think there's a, a general approach to to um, a reward-based um, uh, approach, whether that be learning or your, or your daily role, 
Um, I think when a few years ago, I tried a few pilots just in terms of um, more internal communication and people engaging more with each other, peer-to-peer, -peer, um, from a hierarchical perspective as well, to share rewards, whether they be of a virtual nature, but backed up with some, you know, good words, so solid sort of reinforcement of right behaviors. Uh, so the reward doesn't have to be material through the gamification part. And, and lots of it is um, the, uh, you know, the, sh the sharing um, and creating a community based around outcomes that drive the customer and the business, the customer experience and the business forward. So, you know, I think that kind of underpins the, the, the general uh, concept, but obviously the application and how it fits best into individual businesses, it is yeah, absolutely very different. Mm. And you mentioned something earlier, uh, Sandria, around um, letting people know that their work is 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 someone's assessing their work and is going to talk to them about that. And for some people, that kind of is a is something new. Now, Dan, from from your world, when it comes to recruiting and taking teams in, how how best to position the element of quality? So I'm in the fortunate position where I look after the quality and the training. So I can kind of combine both the strengths of those. So um, something that we've done is just getting in there early with with the um, explanation of what we're doing with quality assurance, what it looks like, uh, what the end goal is. Um, and um, I find that just from an early point, getting people behind the scenes and understanding the difference it makes, um, not just to the customer experience, but I'm a big fan of of saying, look, this is, this is how it could affect your day. You know, that you're speaking to customers on a daily basis. Let's, let's look at, let's look at that. Um, because I do think it is important that the people can have, um, that understanding, um, of how, um, of how a call is structured or how you can build rapport, um, how that affects their, their call, um, day in and day out. So, so we just try and from an early stage, get that, um, get that quality piece, um, there and, and show how that affects everything else that they'll be doing as well. Cause I think it's, I guess it's almost, uh, giving it a brand, you know, like something that they can buy into and follow. So, um, I think that helps, um, that's helped me so far in, in my experience. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the whole thread of this is is around communicating and bringing people onto what the the reason for them being there, and that it's it's so that we can all work together as a team and be and be better at what we do. Starting from recruitment, understanding the job, how you can reward each other, and also then how to conduct the job and work in this kind of it's you're always progressing there's always things that we can help you do better and it, and it, it's going to better the customer better your work you'll enjoy it more but also that you're you're going to be learning skills and we can help you from the quality side of things as well develop skills that you can carry on 
wherever you go in your career. So it's less about here are the rules that you're going to live under. Here are the ways that we're going to tell you where you haven't done something right. It's more about, look, it's a supportive environment where we're going to help upskill you to A, enjoy the job, but B, be good wherever you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's it. And, and trying to get that across to people that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just helping the business. It's not just some guy on a call telling you what to do. It's a development piece and it's about, um, yeah, how did it affect me as an advisor in a longer term and, um, and how does it, you can obviously talk about the business because I think you can, you can tie it into those sorts, uh, larger business goals, um, because that's, that's why it's there, but, um, yeah, just get an understanding of the bigger picture. I think for, for advisors is always helpful. Um. I mean, I literally yesterday, I said, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a box ticking exercise, you know, it's about building relationships with customers. It's all how you kind of frame it. So, um, yeah, just, um, yeah, just giving that a wider picture, I think helps, helps a ton. And we can't talk about the future and where we've been recently and also kind of attracting and retaining talent in our industry without talking about where is our talent working? Are they, are they in contact centers? Are they at home or are they, are they hybrid? When, when you look ahead to 2023, James, where do you see, do you think our industry's got a handle of where best people can work or do you see, has there been a move to bring people back or what do yeah, you think? I mean, I, I think the idea of where we work uh, in society has changed a lot. I'm a big believer that, you know, a crisis can be the, the locomotive of, um, innovation. And I was before COVID a big fan of, uh, remote working, um, 70% of people in our UK contact center were, were home, home workers and everyone had the choice to, to do that. You're being modest as well, aren't you? Cause you won an award for home. The, the, the team won an award. Yeah, indeed it was, it was, I think. But that was, there was a very conscious decision when we started off probably 10 years ago is that in the UK, wanting highly skilled multilingual people, you had to attract and retain. And it was definitely at that point, the USP, um, it enabled us to, to, to get any people in terms of turnover, it's uh, very low, uh, as a result, and you give people flexibility and that's not something which has been a natural edge fellow with contact centers and that preconception about it being in a factory and a very impersonal and very inflexible. It completely turns that on their on it, on its head. And I know when I used to speak about working when it wasn't pre COVID, you get a few, you know, can you trust people, you know, all this thing, you know, how about productivity? And you can see, I mean, it's happened. Yes, you can trust people. If you don't trust people, there's a problem. Um, and, and, and secondly, in terms of um, productivity of the boring stuff, you know, it is, the, you know, it is because people are getting a lot back. They're getting time, which is important to them. And I think realize that as a society, that time is a very precious asset. Myself was spending, um, above three hours a day commuting, um, from, from my home to place of work. Now I've got that time back over a week, over a year. That's enormous. 
I capitalized it as much as I should have done. Probably not. I need to use that a lot better in the year. So for us to, to go back to that completely, I think that would be a step back. I can see why, you know, I think everyone's kind of, there's a conventional wisdom now that hybrid working is the way forward because there's two, one, you need flexibility to attract and retain talent, but the same, your culture is that thrust pushed to the success within the business, which I totally get. But again, coming back to that bit about, um, the, you know, crisis being locomotive of innovation. Let's push that forward. You know, if it really is going to be a struggle to attract and retain people, and it is, it will be, you know, it is, and it will continue to be for some, for some time, then we have to continue to, 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 to be flexible, cast the net further and find innovative ways of recreating that culture. And technology allows us to do that and your teams allow you to do that as well. If you give them the opportunity to be innovative. And I think if you look at all the successes period, it was because you, you just had to let our teams come up with the solutions. You know, everyone wants to work together, but they couldn't. So they had to find those solutions that try to recreate to ensure moving forward, we have something which is sustainable, great for well-being from a, um, a mental well-being perspective uh, as well, because that's something we really have to be mindful of, but it can also be great for the people business and the customer, um, if, if, if we're really kind of pushing the boundaries of being a little bit more innovative when it comes to those conventional ways of working. If not, I think that we, we've lost the battle there. Sandri, what are, are you, would you concur with that? What are you seeing? Do people, when they're considering working with you, ask that question quite on or what, what, what's your view? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, for me personally, I. I'm recruiting fully remote um, because I do feel that it opens up more opportunities in terms of where people are working. Um, so I'm not limited to London because, you know, that's where our head office is. So I'm recruiting fully remote. But when I actually talk to, to other people um, in my network about their challenges, people are straight away going, how many days at home rather than asking if they can work at home. If you attempt to get people into the office full time, if they do take the job, I can't imagine many people staying. The only people who really want to be in full-time, you know, if your home circumstances in terms of working aren't ideal, um, which you can get a little bit of in central London if people are in shared houses, et cetera. But for the vast majority, people are happier spending more time at home because to James's point, you get so much time back. Um, and in a time-poor world, it's a hugely valuable commodity, really. And, and Dan, are you... From a training point of view, that kind of um, making sure that the experience and the and the training, because it's not just necessarily about how we operate and how you do things. It's more that's their someone's first exposure to the culture, isn't it? Is how that training is undertaken. How how has the last year and looking forward um, changed? I think, or has it? I'd say, I'd say, so, so previously, um, I think when I, when I first, um, started managing our training, um, area, I think it was 
it was just post COVID. So it was very much about building on, online trainings and, and having, um, it all done through a call and sort of seeing, you know, what, what kind of snazzy ways can we make it fun? How can we keep it, um, engaging for everyone? Um, and then what we found recently is, okay, well, should we look at bringing people in? Like where's, what's our, our hiring, um, location limit and, and should we try and get people in and, and bring them into that first, that first, uh, onboarding experience, which I think, sorry, my dogs. Um, but, um, essentially, um, what we found is that, yeah, so far, um, bringing in people to a place to try and really embed that culture, um, give them, um, that experience of you know, the office and the type of people that they'll be working with kind of, you know, what, what kind of company they'll be working for, um, has had a lot of benefits, um, and, um, really does kind of just help embed that, that brand and um, that experience. Um, and then moving from that to, um, a stage where maybe, you know, they can, they're still getting training and support, but it's through, um, you know, a Teams call or a Zoom call or, or something like that, where you still need those those benefits of, you know, polls and fun areas of the call. Um, but um, it's not quite as time intense and it's not quite as, um, I guess, um, it, impassive energy is different, you know, because it's, it's over a call, so... Um, at this point, we found a, a kind of a nice blend between the two, kind of similar to what Jennings was saying um, earlier. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it all depends on your hiring strategy, um, whether or not you want to do it fully remote or um, hybrid. And I think there's a place for all of it. I think, yeah, I couldn't say moving forwards as a best fit because I think it depends on on the business and what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Um, I definitely think it's possible to, to do all of the above. Mm, I, I agree. And I think it was interesting. You were saying, um, earlier, James around, surely we, we must be past now concerns about productivity. And there was a, I read a, a report about a survey. I think it was Microsoft that surveyed 80,000. It was a large number. And productivity had gone up. However, management still had this, you know, they coined that phrase productivity paranoia, where their perception was that productivity had gone down. Now, surely in our industry where we have a KPI for everything, we, we should be at the, the tip of the spear of going, well, that's nonsense. It doesn't yeah. matter where our guys are. Hmm. If we can see what they're up to every minute. So... Yeah. they're fine let's just let's just focus on them it's funny when we first started um trying to measure and prove a business case for, for home and remote working uh, many years ago now we'd we looked at um handling time as obsession with handling time at the time which has always been one of my bugbears but it you know if you can prove that the, the metrics are going in the right place and it, it does help from a business case perspective there wasn't a major um uh, reduction in the in, in the handling time was something four seconds, which I maybe expected more naively, but the composition of that handling time changed significantly. Wrap up time went down. 
talk time went up. And for me, that was a big success because we were engaging more during those minutes with our customers. Customer satisfaction went up a lot. And then I think you see the power of that turning into the power of the voice, turning into positive customer experience. And so I think it, it's not about, and it shouldn't be about productivity in its very boring and purish sense, but about just, you know, the, the, the value of the time, how it's being used and, and how changing the environment can have a very positive impact on that. So that, that was really one of the major um, forces that pushed our business case in the right direction. Nice. And one of the things that we, we spoke about on the panel, it was an interesting one for me, because I think if you look at our industry as a whole, there was a time when if you were involved in operations of the contact center, you weren't naturally invited to talk about CX. And now that there's, now that there seems to be recognition that you absolutely, absolutely should be talking to the people that are doing the job of talking to customers when it comes to devised in your CX strategy. It wasn't always the case. I'd often go, what's going on in there? That looks interesting. We'll tell you about it when we're ready for you to deliver it. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. I might have a view on that. No, no, no. Just do what we say. Um, but when it comes to looking, looking forward and the, the extent to which CX strategy is, where does that sit on your list of priorities now if memory serves me right we came to you dan for that one so i'm, ex I'm expecting big things uh, yeah yeah so um it's still the cx strategy is it's still very much a work in progress um with with me but i think um what what you just mentioned there martin is 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 ringing a lot of bells you know it's it's kind of uh historically it would make sense you know it's kind of a second idea to to talk to to CS maybe about um, that topic, but I think um, from from my experience, it, it's kind of it, it goes. They're different things, CS and CX, but it, they're very much um, massive contributors uh, uh, contributors to, to each each other. So, um, in terms of CX, I've always been very much uh, voice of the customer orientated and. And the benefits of that, how that can affect, um, improve business, um, is massive. I think, you know, you've got, a, you've got a massive cohort of, of, um, quantitative data there from, from your customers, you know, no, no two ways about it. Um, so I think that, that features heavily in the CX strategy. Um, but I think if I remember correctly, uh, when I answered originally, um, the CX strategy is very much for me at this point is, you know, just making sure you actually have one and, and, and doing the work around and, and, and planning ahead and making sure, um, you've got a good structure there to, to underpin it. Um, and I think second to that as well is, is just make sure, um, you put the work in and building those relationships with the other stakeholders that might be outside. CST. So again, mine similar to what you mentioned before, um, it, having those relationships really will, will help build out and, and give, um, some kind of, uh, meat, meat to what, what you're trying to achieve. Um, and, and also I think, um, just, just having, 
just just having a, a really good understanding of you know what does the customer want in this situation um making sure that you you do the work in terms of understanding who your customers are what they're looking for what kind of experience they need and there's lots of different ways to do that you, you can bring in as, as i mentioned before we cst team um listening to the calls understanding um what what advisors are facing on a daily basis is, is super important so yeah so i think just just again just just making sure that um you're you're thorough with your work and, and making sure you're in, in, in including all of the key stakeholders to, to make sure you have a good understanding yeah i mean and just to to add to that i say because i think i'm i'm going for my own strategy design at the moment is taking an approach of the best cx is no cx so you know eliminating contacts at the front so what's going wrong how do we strip those out how do we stop them from happening um and then really what are the processes that i can automate what are the processes that i can simplify um and then the final piece of that puzzle is that voice of the community um but community for me is the customer and my internal community which is my team so the customer's voice is there, but also my teams are the ones who know why that process might be clunky, why it might be taking 20 hours to turn around that type of contact versus 10 hours to turn around the other. So both groups and both communities are informing my decision making as I create my strategy. Um, and that's been hugely beneficial um, for me in terms of making a plan for what next year looks like and then what my channel strategy looks like on top of it, because it isn't just about um changing processes and stripping things out it's actually which channel channels make most sense which channels can i complete the whole journey in because i don't want to have a customer start a journey somewhere and then they've got to leave at the end because they couldn't complete that final bit so yeah understanding all of these different layers of cx and how they fit together with, with the community's voice i love that that's great so did you say the best cx is no cx yeah I just mean nothing goes wrong. So in my case, you go onto the website, you order something fabulous, it arrives, it makes you feel extraordinary, which is what we're about, um, making women feel extraordinary in what they wear. Um, and you go on and give us a great review. That's the ideal world. The best CX is no CX. How can I help with that? I need to make sure that our sizing guide is spot on and that if you want to understand how a product is going to fit you, it's all there. The shipping in information is really clear. So all of the things that aid that initial simple journey I need to aid so I need to make sure that if that is clunky or I can see loads of people are spending time in the sizing guide I might report back to our product team that they need to do something about it so that is a place that I could help in terms of the, the best CX no CX when something does go wrong how do I make that as simple and easy to resolve as possible how can I ideally make it a self-solve because I do think that's um, the next best thing but if you do have to speak to someone or, or send an email, that actually that gets responded to as quickly as we can and ideally with first-time resolution. So, so yeah, that's how I see that. So, yeah, the best CX is nothing goes wrong. It's seamless. I love it. And we play a part in that. I love it. And, and James, does that, how, how did that resonate with in your world as well? And also the kind of the concept of bringing in um everyone into that the, the the kind of devising and analyzing and delivering 
the CX strategy. Yes, indeed. I mean, I agree, and I, I love that. But CX is he's, he's no CX. I think for me, my industry, there's very little chance of that happening because there are so many things that, which are out of control. Uh, we know acts of God, as we like to call them. Um, but um, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in that. Um, you know, the, the symmetry between colleague experience and the customer experience. The chances are, if it's an irritator for the customer, it's an irritator for our, for a colleague. And that should be a starting point. You know, it really is. And, and, you know, sitting with, with your teams, being there, hearing what is going on, um, and, and being able to feed that back quickly into an organization, which is pretty big now, our, uh, our industry is, is extremely important and should underpin everything i i think when you're heading out there with a customer experience strategy all of those elements need to be present but also ensuring that in my industry the onboard experience is consistent with um on the ground and also in touch points for from the customer service teams difficult to do if you've got like us two brands two airlines and KLM with different customer experience teams, but what I think is really great and really helps us a lot from customer service is that we have a common language. We have those values, if you, if you like, which absolutely fundamental to underpinning the experience. And what I also like is the fact that we have, we split those into how we want to make the customers feel, but how we like to feel ourselves as colleagues. And that comes back, um, to this symmetry between the uh, colleague experience and the customer experience uh, and, and how we should effectively interact with those as internal customers, ensure that we, and leaders as well, is that we interact with our colleagues just as like them to interact with the customer as well. We provide customer service to them. They should be able to recognize great customer service through the interactions that they have with the people that they're working with. And I think if that in the underpins everything that you do and interacts that you're being just in terms of your, your ethos, your philosophy, your communication strategy as well internally within your sentence, then that really helps gain a lot of momentum in terms of what you deliver in terms of uh, customer experience. I love that. And, and we were, we were at an expo where you get the opportunity to see the latest technology and the, and the vendors are there. And they're um, trying to be more and more creative about enticing you to their to their stands. The sort of freebies have got better. No longer is it just jelly beans. You can have a caricature drawn of yourself. You can do. You can have lots of other things. And um, it lends itself to the next sort of topic, which is around you know your budgets and whether there's investment in technology on your on your horizon. When when you think about when you think about that, where, what for you is kind of pressing? What are the things that you are protecting in your, in your budget? I can go to anyone for the, for that one. Cause I think you're all itching to say something. Um, so for me, it's about investment in the tools that my team might be using. Um, so social is a significant part of our volume. Um, and I'd love and I have put into the budget to um, 
find a better community management tool that covers social as well as our standard tickets and um, gives me great analytics um, as well as is super easy for my agents to use. I think for a long time, contact centers have operated over multiple systems and I would love to be in a place where we've got tools that make it easy for people to do the job. We talked earlier about the complexity of the task that we're asking agents to do, but as well as writing this wonderful email where you've got everything right and you've got this great tone of voice and you've personalized and built this relationship, I need to update this, update that, and then put something there. Um, yeah, when we ask people to do that, I think we make the job unnecessarily challenging. So for me, it's investing in tooling to make the job a lot easier for my team. Lovely. Yeah, totally agree. Um, and I'd mirror that completely. And I, I think we think budgets are a lot tighter now. In aviation extremely tight. They always are because of the margins, but people are even more so now. Um, so um, maybe with current comes from, you know, happy. When I first started, so many systems, so many legacy systems as well, not talking to one another and then making, creating a lot of friction, um, for, for a customer and colleague alike. Um, I'm really pleased to, to, to know that moving forward, you know, that's the one thing, if you like, it's been ring fenced is that simplification of the tools, trying to get everything into, you know, one portal possible, unifying that, having as much knowledge of the customer as possible available. To the fingertips of our colleagues so they can personalize, engage more, um, and, and have a good experience themselves. Going back to the same thing, trying to mirror that, to, you know, create that symmetry between um, the uh, the experiences and, and, and tooling is very much at the heart of that. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. I think uh, looking at how we can make the lines of the advisors that the obvious employer is a massive one. Um, and, um, following on from that as well, just, you know, making sure that we're still investing in the people themselves, um, just trying to see where we can keep that, that ongoing sort of chain of progress, um, uh, moving and making sure people are getting, um, as much as they can out, out of their role. Um, yeah, so I think for next year, it's, it's about making sure that the people are getting invested in and, and also, um, we're, we're looking at making, making their lives a little bit easier and everyone's lives a little bit easier with our systems. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Cause, um, there's going to be smarter people than, than me that will be able to, um, reference this report better, but contact Babel did a showed a correlation between the number of systems that our frontline team members use and they cross-referenced it with attrition rates. And if it, if it's, there's a significant difference if it's more than five, but if, if you think about it, even five feels like too, too many, you know, if you're, I think we've all sat in and all been in contact centers where you watch someone go through like a version of minority report where they're just, they're having to go all over the place and they've got hundreds of systems each requiring a different login where they're copying and pasting and they've all developed their own shortcuts. Um, the, the, the mental load that that kind of even subconsciously puts on people just to do the job, you can, you can see why it could be a factor in losing talent. You know, which is kind of where we, 
where we where we started. Now, you may have missed it in all of the adulation at the expo with people throwing roses onto the stage and but it is there was there um an area that you that we didn't discuss that you think we was kind of in your mind about looking looking ahead. I think we were too busy trying to get off stage, I think, as well, before the it was uh, hard, wasn't it? fans came over and asked for autographs. Autographs, that, that's showing my age as well. Sorry, it's selfies, isn't that? Sorry. I don't know. I mean, we've talked about the core things. We've talked about people. We've talked about mm. training, quality, budgets. Um, if we go through our, I mean, maybe continuous improvement, how we're making sure that happens in our in our in our contact centers i'm going through a process of building all of that into my zendesk setup at the moment um but also i know in previous roles it's something i've really worked to help agents understand so why do i need to be perfectly accurate about what contact what that contact was about it's because that helps us to drive change going forward why do i need to put ideas and solutions forward it's because actually you speak to thousands of people every month your voice really matters. Um, so yeah, probably continuous improvement or maybe the joy that is forecasting and planning that no one ever talks about, but is a fundamental say making any CX environment. But, but definitely not a subject for me. So I don't know if we want to hand that to James or, <laughs> or Dan. <laughs> forecasting and planning for me is the last budget exercise that we ran. And normally everyone's got a point of view. But I mean, there was a silent room, I think, last time as well. <laughs> We're not quite sure. But it was a good, I mean, you could say anything and you could justify it. It's, it's, it really is. It's such an only unknown quantity at the moment. It really is. Uh, so, uh, yeah. No, I'm not going to touch that subject. And a nightmare to recruit for because it is. It's one of those, it's a really challenging one to get perfectly right. Yeah. I, I, the continuous improvement point is a really interesting one. Because I remember working with a a quality team, actually, who took great pride in um, tracking the improvements that they'd that they'd made or they'd identified and that had been followed through. And um, it was like 180, you know, they the whole team had bought into this. And I think it's something that not just quality teams, but contact center operational teams don't do enough of that we um have a role of honor of the things that we've done you know that the things that we say that we identified this and it's now it's now in place and it's improved our customers journey and it's improved our our working conditions and we've done 180 of them and someone somewhere can attribute that to pounds and pence and it moves us from being cost centers to kind of customer centers and the centers of continuous improvement because i think one thing that this type of panel and question makes you realize is we're extremely adaptive you know we we have to continually evolve um as a as an industry and we're and we're we're very good at it but we don't often we don't often talk about it we don't often say look what we've done yeah absolutely i know that we have a, a Center in Amsterdam is great exponents of Lean Six Sigma. Uh, that's part that underpins a lot of what they do in terms of um, coming leaner. But what I think that they very well was actually show how that is being reinvested 
back into uh, uh, back into the business, back into uh, calling experience and customer experience as well, which I think it, it, it is very engaging uh, because there's there's always just in terms of making things uh, leaner and better and she's not you know constantly doing that. There might be a little bit of people becoming exhausted with that if it's just seen as doing it for the, the sake of doing it. But if you can see those tangible results as you said there and how there's reinvestment as a result of efficiencies that might be being made, then that is something which I think is far more engaging and things that people can uh, can subscribe to a lot more easily. Mm. Well, guys, I, I can't replicate the the rounds of applause and the shouts of more and and the tears of emotion that people had after after listening to the three of you. But James, Dan, and Sandria, thanks very much for for coming back together and just sharing your the wealth of your knowledge and your expertise. Um, I've, I've really enjoyed it and have a lovely uh, holiday period and a, a lovely new year. And keep same to you all. Thanks Thank you. a lot, Martin. Thanks for listening. For questions about the episode or the podcast in general, or if you'd just like to talk about contact centres, please email me. My email address is martin at getoutofrap.com. In the new year, I've got some really exciting news as well. So if you are interested in team leader development and giving your team leaders the best opportunity possible to lead their teams effectively and enjoy doing it, then stay tuned.